Welcome to Thinking Outside the Box with Gavin Rubinstein. Conversations between Gavin and the people he believes have trailblazed by thinking outside the box in their field, industry, or even just in his office. Ladies and gentlemen, Charlie Toomer, man, someone I really, really like and admire, someone who is a, you know, an absolute master at his craft. I would say the man out in Surrey Hills. You are the Surrey Hills agent. There is no one else as far as I'm concerned. I mean, you've got huge market share there. We're going to talk about a lot today. We're also going to catch up because we're mates and we haven't in a while. My brother, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I mean, I know a little bit about your story. We're going to delve into more of it because I'd love to understand it. Where did you start? How did you get into real estate? And obviously, I mean, I through Pulse and being still connected to the Ray White Group, see your numbers. How, you know, are you continuing to write the millions of dollars in gross commission that I see you writing out of, you know, a suburb like Surrey Hills? Well, remember, you got me over to Ray White. Yeah. I, yeah, don't now, forget. Don't uh, forget. We talk profile. Wow, remember wow, profile. Wow, wow, wow. And that's the thing we're going to talk about, becoming the digital mayor. Right, right, right. Digital mayor. Fully. All right, Dan White. So, Dan White. Yeah. I hope you are listening, my friend. I love Dan White. He's the guy. So let's unpack, right? Yeah. So started out Johnny McGrath doing leasing, yep. as you do. So you were John McGrath. John McGrath doing leasing. Man. You know, we he had- just, He created a hotbed, man. It was unbelievable. You know, you had all the top dogs now, but they were young back yeah, then. Yeah, And then you had like Bowie and- So, you had so how long ago was this that you were leasing? Man, I, was, I was 19. And so you're, mate, you're, you're now- 40, 40 now. 21 years ago. Ooh. Okay. And you had all the top dogs. Right. right. James yeah. Dack was there. Alex was working for Pauline, yeah. Shannon Whitney, Ivan Bresic, the list goes on, right? James Dack was a legend. He was the best. I was in leasing and it was just one of those things where I was doing leasing and I was doing really well and I tried to get into the sales arena and John was like, nah, he goes, you're not, he goes, I'm keeping you in leasing. And so I went up to every agent and I was like trying to hustle my way in and uh, every agent goes, John's put the brakes on it. And I went up to Shannon. He started to have a conversation and I thought I was in with a, with a job with him. This was in December. Turned up in January thinking I'm going to get a start and he's gone. Started Breast Whitney. Started Breast gotcha. Whitney. Right. So I called Shannon. I said, mate, what's the go? And he goes, look, we've left. We was on the hush. We couldn't say anything. I said, mate, would you have me? He goes, I'd love to, but why would you leave McGrath at the time? It was a powerhouse. Yeah. Who were Bressing and Whitney, right? Yeah. And, uh, Which makes sense. I mean, it makes sense. It was yeah. a big move. Yeah. Like McGrath were- you But know, they wouldn't give you a start. They're saying, stick to your box. And you're saying, I want to break out of my I box. I want to break out. Right. Shannon was the one that talked to me. I said to Shannon, let's, let's dance. I remember at the time after I made that decision, McGrath then called me and goes, who do you want to work for? And as a 20-year-old, that's a big call when they go, who do you want to work for? We want you to stay. And I remember seeing Shannon at an open house in Edgecliff and he goes, man, you shook my hand. He goes, are you man of your word? I said, let's go. We opened up, we're working out the back of Warren Duncan's office, uh, who used to run City Commercial. And I remember my first week, I was moving, like moving furniture. And I go, this is, this is not what I wanted. And from there, man, it just launched. It just launched. I mean, they're two. That those two were two of the best mentors that you could when you, you say could have. Shannon two, and Ivan. Shannon are legends. Unbelievable. Legends of the game. Yeah, yeah. You got to. Really? You got to take it. I love the stories when you talk about when we started. It was nothing, and we're moving furniture. Like you look at Bressick Whitney today, and those boys built that thing from nothing to something to everything, and that just pumps me up. Man, Twenty years, right? I was. It was Bressick Whitney and me, right? <laughs> and I was nineteen. <laughs> Mate, like those guys were dressed to the nines and I had the shirts that were baggy. My dress sense was terrible. And I was like, man, how do I get like them? I just want to be like them. And it was funny, right? Then you start like, you know, trying to sort of create your own image back then, which was very, very difficult. We'll go into that a little bit, but they just showed me the ropes. Right. So you started as an assistant or when you went straight into sales? Ivan's assistant. 
hardest guy I've ever worked for, mm-hmm. wanted to cut my wrist, I reckon, three times a week. Like, no joke, right? It got to a point once where I actually was about to cry and I, and I had to look at myself in the mirror and said, what do I really want to do? And I'm like Ivan now. And I just had to make sure that I was ahead of the curve. I had to give him information before he asked information from me. And that was just a light bulb moment where I just went from amateur to pro. And I said, if I want to make this, it was me lifting my standards. Now I know why he was so successful. But at the time when I was learning, I didn't understand what he needed from me. You never do. No. You never do. And, um... And I made and the I, decision. I, and I love people like that. And a lot of people don't like people like that, right? And it's crazy to see how much he's changed. Right? I don't know if you heard the podcast we of did. Of course, of he's course. So I got such a spot for that man. That standard, that high performers uphold and demand of people who work in their team. I call it the furnace, right? People at the time or juniors at the time, which you were, may hate it and it will crack 99% of people. But the ones that it doesn't crack, yeah. it makes. It nearly cracked me. I remember I was nearly in tears and I was like, I either quit or I level up and you level up. And from there, you don't look back. The standards are the most important. And those guys set a standard of excellence and performance from early on. And as a young guy coming through, I don't think you realize how important standards are. Like goals are empty without discipline. I'm the most undisciplined motherfucker you've ever met. I'll be honest with you guys. Like 100%. I am learning every day. You told me discipline is the bridge between goals and achieving them. Yeah. Well, I mean, I stole that from someone, but it's gold. Okay. Right. <laughs> now I'm 41 and I'm still trying to be the guy that I want to be. I love that. And the only way to do that is discipline, standards of excellence and not negotiables. And I tell you, it's hard. Like if anyone wants to come on the podcast and say it's easy, like I was mentoring a guy from Double Bay yesterday and I was telling him what he needs to do. And I just looked him in the eye and I go, I still struggle. Yeah, that's crazy. Because I look on polls and you were like last year, you were what, three, three and a half million bucks. Around that. It was around that. The year before was better. The year before was better for everybody. But I mean, let's put things in perspective. Did you go to university? Mate, for a week. Cool. So you didn't. How were you at school? Mate, average. Okay. So let's reiterate, you wrote three and a half million dollars last year. Yeah. And now you tell me you're not disciplined. I'm not. I have to work on it. That is my biggest downfall. Right. I think a lot of people listening are going to resonate with that. So tell me how you do that and still come through. I came on this podcast and I was like, I'm going to tell the truth, right? There's no point comforting you with a lie or no. anything else, right? Yeah. So my biggest challenge, and I reckon the biggest challenge for most people is discipline. And it's easy to sort of talk the talk, but it's walking the walk, right? Like when people say I'm going to do something, that's like a poor guy saying I'm rich. Okay. Like literally, right? So the thing about it is when you actually tell people what you're going to do before you do it, it releases a dopamine hit. It's a sense of achievement before achieving shit. So a lot of the time I tell people, I said, stop telling me what you're going to do because that's given you a sense of achievement before you've done anything. So for me, it's morning routine and having things that I can and can't do at certain periods. And at 41 years old, father of three, I still... And I admit, I need to get into that. It's challenge. Yeah. It's yeah. challenging. Yeah. And and if I drop my guard, man, if I drop my guard for a second, three weeks are gone. Well, when I say three weeks are gone, I'm not at peak performance. So that's the most important thing. The the, the people that are at the top of their game, they know when it works on. They know when it's recovery, and they know when it's play. Of course, they don't mix. Yeah. Do you mix? 
I try not to mix. Yeah. I did mix and I was at the top of my game and then I went down to the bottom of my game because I mixed and then I overindulged and then I had to realize that I was looking at people going, I am so much more talented than you, but why are you beating me? Because I was too jumpy. I was stop start. I was like starting a car in six gear. Yeah. Wasted energy. Yeah. Right? It's all momentum. All right. So I still don't understand how by not being disciplined, you're able to write those numbers. I should be writing more. That's the, that's the reality. What, right? do you, what do you think you should be writing? Seven. Love. So I was with Josh Fegan on Tuesday night. We had an honest chat. I said, what can I write? He said, 10 to 11. My best year is four and a half. Right. 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 And I know, I'm telling you, I know my discipline over the last 20 years is a result of where I'm at right now. So you're saying it's improved? It's improved, yeah. but it's nowhere near what it could be. Right. It's consistency. It's compounding interest. Mm -hmm. It's doing the things we don't want to do. Like I, I went home today. I had a meeting with my stylist at home. Uh, we had to get my wardrobe organized for winter. Like I had about two hours between you and me. And I was like, once upon a time, I probably would have just chilled. I was like, no, nah, we're going back. We're hitting the phones. I had Ray White Double Bay ask me to do a training session. My team had booked it in at 8.30 last week. And I, and I figured out, I cancelled. I said, no one gets me between 8 o'clock in the morning and 11 o'clock. No one gets me. Don't even come into a room. KCC, keep Charles calling. Yeah, That's wow. all I do. <laughs> That's it, right? And and there's got to be disciplines around that. Essentially, you identify, hey, I'm a talented guy. I got the gift of the gab. Clearly, I got the energy. This is an energy game, right? Your energy's beaming off. It's Friday afternoon, you know, almost 4.30. You've had a killer week. Game day's tomorrow, right? You are yeah. fucking on. But you worked out that what's standing between me and my goals, the bridge between that, essentially what I told you, is being disciplined around doing what I needed to, to Correct. hit that. You at a younger age. You had the discipline. Yeah, I'm disciplined. Mate, 100%. Between 20 and 30, when people were fucking around, you were working. And that's where, why you are where today. Yes, you got skill. Yes, you got good looks. You got good energy. Whatever. Love this, Cam. However, <laughs> however, I guarantee you there were some very successful agents or very good agents that didn't have the disciplines that are not where you're at. And that's the reason why. Yeah, 100%. It's profound, really, when you think about it, because I'd have to agree with you on, on, on every level in terms of Mark McLeod talks about it all the time. The problem with most agents is they can't handle the freedom that you have with being a real estate agent. And that's completely wrapped in discipline, isn't it? And yeah. what, what he means by that is like, we don't have, if you're not a junior, if you're a standalone agent, we don't have a boss telling us a time necessarily we have to be in, a time we have to leave, what it really looks like in terms of what you're expected to do. So therefore, when you've got that level of freedom, and you're not disciplined, you can sidetrack. And when you've got appointments or gap between appointments, you can just muck around. Or if you're disciplined, you're going to make use of every single second that you've got. Or what about when you start earning money? Yeah, it gets even harder, doesn't it? Bro. Yeah. You, like we can make money at a young age, 25, making bank. Did anyone train us on what to do with it? No. Nah. Goes to your head, goes elsewhere. All of a sudden, everything that you were doing to get you there, you start behaving like you're number one which is the worst thing you can do. And then guess what? Go All on. of a sudden you're down, you're down again. Like I remember one thing you said, you know, you want to stay number one, behave like you're number two. So you remember, like, so you got a good memory. Now that you're reminding me all this stuff, I remember saying it, but it's not. I've done more work on the self-development mindset behavior for me. I've been through countless uh, psychologists, like whether it's Tony Robbins, yep. like the amount of work I had to do on me, CT, everything is a byproduct of how I feel. Whatever, however I feel, 
will affect how well I go, right? So the work that I had to do outside of real estate on this yeah. and the mind yeah. was the most important thing. Yeah, same. I mean, you speak in my mantra, you're wrapping it in a, you know, in a different style, but this is kind of all the stuff that I, I harp on about. But the young people don't know. And sometimes they don't understand what we had to do behind closed doors. I'm telling you, everyone's got a dark side and everyone's got challenges. And sometimes as a younger agent coming through, I don't think they, they either look at us and they go, oh, well, they just had to do the basics or they don't know what we had to do to get here. And what my journey was to get where I am might be different to yours. Huge. But I'm sure we've all had our, our challenges along Trials the way. And tribulations. They're all Riggers just different. Of real estate. Exactly. Of course, of course. So I I tell a lot of the people, the younger guys, that for me, you know, you can look and say it was all glamour. No, like there was there was challenges along the way. What do you tell young people when they say, I want to write three and a half million bucks a year and, and how can I do that? Charlie, like, what do you tell them? I had one the other day. Firstly, pick a location or geographical area that you love. There's got to be a relationship. So like, like I mean, I see people selling in markets, and I'm going to be honest, they're selling out in the east. They don't belong there. Well, I sell in Redfern, right? Redfern, in the last two years, there's, I sold 70 houses. The next agent sold 10. Fuck. Yeah? Like, that's 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 fact. In, in, the, in the podcast then. So it's Surrey Hills and Redfern. So Redfern, yeah. 70 house transactions in two years, next guy 10. In Surrey Hills, 21, next guy 11. For me, though, I had an affiliation with Redfern. Dad grew up there, Lebanese background and stuff, and yep. nobody wanted to do it. But firstly, I think you need to sell in an area that you're passionate about, that you understand. That's everything because I think a lot of people have a misconception with certain agents. I mean, even sometimes with me about chasing the big houses or selling in particular areas in the East because it's the big com checks when A, it's not because our com checks are kind of challenged the most, I'd say the East than anywhere else. But I've always spoken about how passionate I am about the big houses or not even the big houses, but the luxury houses, because that drives my energy. Yeah. So what you're saying is make passion your paycheck. Bro, pick an area that you're excited to sell, live, breathe in. Someone called me today about a house in Pattern. I said, you got the wrong guy. Yeah. Not me. That's key, man. It's not me. Yeah. Like, I'll go in there. I'll spend time preparing. Yeah. I don't know it. I'm not confident. And my energy on everything I do that day will be put off because I'm walking into something that I'm not a master in. So I'll refer that. So for me, I want to become, and with my social at the moment, I want to become the digital mayor of Redfern and Surrey Hills. That's the goal. Like I've got to a point now, I'm walking down the street and people go, hey, man, I love your videos. Oh, and we're going to talk a lot about yeah, that because that's, that's a big and that's, point. And that's why I think you need to pick an area that you resonate that you can build very big profile in. When you're selling here, there, and everywhere, it's hard to build a profile. In my opinion, there are exceptions. There's Alex Phil. Sure. But in the masses, right, you sort of need an area that you can dominate. 100%. What else do you tell me? So be passionate about an area. What else do you say? So that would be the first thing. Second thing, start with the basics, mate. It's the market knowledge. It's the phone calls. It's the prospecting. And be patient, positive, and persistent. The triple P, baby. Bro, what else are you going to do? These guys are Patience, positive, persistence. That's it. And it's a five-year staff. And But you also got to do two things, right? Work with a gun agent. Work in a gun agent or a gun office and learn. Learn the keys. Yeah. Learn the yeah. key yeah. fundamentals, yeah. Yeah, know how to do it learn learn what they're doing you need no textbook can can teach you that you need to get in the practical side you got to look behind the curtain there is an art to it no matter what anybody says you know this is a reason why top real estate agents get paid what they do there is an art to it learn 
the strokes of the brush. You've got to understand it. Success leaves clues, right? And have a growth mindset. Never stop learning. Never. Like never. Like I called you the other day. Why are we here? Yeah. yeah. The reason we're here is I called you. I said, Gav, listing presentations, five mil plus. Talk to me. You go, we'll do it on the podcast. <laughs> I said, oh, that's, that's why I'm here. Well, I, and, and we can, we can talk we'll, about we'll that. that and, later. And, and let's do that because I want to give everybody value, not just you. And I was, I was really... I actually had someone call up and request to get you on the podcast. And I thought, that's a great idea because I love what you're doing too. Some really great advice there. Let's just touch on social media for a second because you put yourself out there. Yeah. You really do. And there is no way, like you say, some guys walking, you know, through Redfern will, will reach out and say, I love your videos. There's a bunch of people who would, without question, be talking shit. Because it comes with anyone who puts themselves out there in any single way. Not everyone is going to like what you're doing. The way I look at it is... Some people looking, you go, this guy walking around Redfern, Surrey Hills, he's in his vest, his tie, he's talking in a particular way, he knows his stuff, but you know, he looks like a bit of a wanker. You're going to get a bit of that. Yeah. But then I see you're making three and a half million dollars a year. You're kind of laughing all the way to the bank. How have you dealt with that? Because I know people who I've spoken to are somewhat scared of putting themselves out there because they can't handle the criticism. Yeah. And you don't even have to tell me, I know you've been criticized because I come from the same space, right? How have you dealt with it? I'm careful about what I put out to some degree. I'm always focused on the area. And what I'm trying to do is give people an eye or a glimpse or a taste of what, how I approach my practice, right? So we've got this thing going on called the selling series. Yeah, I literally cool. document, you know, me from meeting the property, transforming preparing it, the preparing the house yeah. from negotiations, from me doing the callback, because I want people to see how I go about my practice. Yeah. Yeah. Then I'll do a monthly wrap, which was something similar to like what you guys do. Real and diaries, you know, and yeah, something yeah. similar to that. Now, that gets a little bit more negative attention for me yeah. than when I'm doing things about like, you know, who's buying in Redfern or, you know, should I buy before auction and stuff like that? I just break it up. But the most important thing for me is consistency. And at the end of the day, like I spent, just to give you an idea, man, I probably spent 20 grand a month at the moment on social media. Big. Right. That's big, right? But if we start to have a look at the engagement that I'm getting, it's working. I go into a house or appraise it and there's a tenant in there and he goes, dude, you're that guy. So I, I think I won't do that every month, but the long game has to be, I've got to be on the shopping list. I have to be. Yeah, but there's no better way to do it. I mean, the biggest, one of the biggest challenges I face or have with the agents I work with is always around that. How much have you spent on marketing yourself this month? And it is always fuck all. And when I was coming up, I mean, it's a little bit different now, right? But when I was coming up and when I was building and I was trying to create this profile, I spent hundreds and I've spent millions probably. Let's let's call this like I reckon it's well up there because my view was this is an investment into my business. My profile is my business. And that essentially is tied to the trust people are going to associate with my brand. So I gotta let them know. And at the risk of, you know, some people may be thinking, you're a wanker, much more thought this guy's gonna be valuable if and when I need him. And it has been, it's compounded, like you say, over the years. Faith, not fear. So you got to have faith it's going to work. Don't get caught up in the fear. When I left where I was, I had a meeting with you and I talked about Ray White. This was a profile thing, right? right? So there's agencies out there that I believe will build their brand and there's agencies that will let the agent build their own personal brand. And as an agent, I don't care where you are, your personal brand is super important. Yeah, I remember having that chat with you. It is, it is so important. So for me, I still am creating my brand and that's what I want people to sort of resonate with. Call Charles Tumor. 
I want to be, like I said, on the shopping list, but I want to give them a taste of what, how, what my energy is like before they actually meet me. How it goes. What do you want to know about listing presentations? I want to want to know, you go in listings, you go in all different markets. Okay. So I'm very heavily focused, Redfern, Surrey Hills. People use me, why energy, enthusiasm, experience, market share, volume of sales. When you go into a listing and it's say over $5 million, which I'm just starting to break in that market, tell me a little bit about how you go into a listing, what you take. And especially when the markets are scattered, where you can't say volume of sales in a certain market, because if you're selling you know, a penthouse in Potts Point, or then you're going into something in Dover Heights, does your presentation shift? What's your mindset and how do you approach it? My presentation never shifts. There we go. The only adjustments I'll make will be based on the people I'm presenting to. Right. It's a people game before it's a property game. Mm-hmm. Right. So the process for me is always exactly the same. And I like to keep it simple because I'm a simple guy, right? That process involves three aspects, as you know, that the agent and the vendor can control how we present the home, how we market the home, and then where we pitch the home in terms of a price. Now, whether it's for sale, I think the strategy changes versus auction, sometimes higher or lower. But outside of that, it's mainly working out what the person I'm pitching to is going to feel positive about vibes wise. Right. But the process is is 100% the same. So I can use an example of a house I, I pitch for on Hunter's Hill because I don't sell a lot in Hunter's yeah. Hill. Okay. My mindset is that of, I will give it everything I have in terms of the pitch and show you how I'm going to do better than number two, three, or four. And if you don't use me, and I mean this genuinely, it's your loss. As much as I want the business, right? I'm okay to walk away knowing I gave it every single thing I possibly could. So I walked into Hunter's Hill and we sat down and he straight forthcomingly told me, look, I understand you don't sell a lot in this area. I said, well, now that we've got that part out of the way, why did you call me? He said, I absolutely love what you do on Lux Listings. And so part of that show for me and the benefit from it, and there have been a few, has been opportunities like that. Now, what do they look like? Properties that I'm passionate about selling because this yeah. was a brand new 800 square meter killer. It was just beautiful. I was going to have fun marketing it. I was going to have fun selling it. And I knew if I ran the process correctly, it was going to be competitive. And we right. love running competitive processes. So once we got that away and I established kind of why I was there and why he was talking to me, I stuck to my original process and I ran through what I did differently, which is completely foreign to him because it was the opposite of what the other agents were saying. Right. I didn't lie in any way, shape or form. I just called a spade a spade. Like I said to him, I'm not going to be at the open homes. Straight off the bat. Straight off the bat. I said, I don't need to be at the open homes. I'm going to deal with all the contract holders. I'm going to market the property. I'm going to build all that collateral. And I'm fastidious with that. Like I set the photo order from all the wording to taking every single shot to the vid. Like I'm anal retentive. Do you talk to your clients about your involvement in that? 100%. Because most people would just send their PA to do it. That's right? Right. all the time. Right. I'll do it personally, especially if I'm interested in a property like I was in this. But my strength is taste, is marketing, is detail. Is That's where I can really add a lot of value to people. And it's negotiation, which is, by the way, what an agent's role is. Standing at the door while people walk through. No deals getting done at the open home. Not in my market anyway, not for these sorts of properties. So he actually loved the fact that I had set that up. And I said, essentially, I'd be setting traps for these buyers so that if they're interested, they have to register for a contract, which identifies them. And then I get to call them, which he absolutely loved. Yeah, 2.2% full marketing he paid. We sold the property for 6.5 million, the highest price paid on that street. This is a couple of months ago. I think if I questioned my normal process, I wouldn't have had such a good outcome. 
I think I acknowledge and accept that it's not going to be for everybody. You know what I'm saying? So like, yeah, I've pitched a lot of times where people have gone, this ain't for me. This ain't for you. And you talk about negotiation being a skill. Do you actually go into negotiation? Massively. How do you talk about negotiation to a client? So I always say the best sell is not having to make a sell at all. I'm not here to debate the price with you, Mr. Vendor. And you know what's even better? When I don't have to debate the price with a buyer. When buyers have to fight each other, that sorts the men from the boys or the women from the girls. And that ensures that you're going to maximize the value. I don't have to debate the number when there's competitive tension. So if I market this beautifully in the TRG way that other agents just don't do, they just don't, right? They don't have that level of detail. They don't have the engagement we have. And I create this environment where these guys are going to fight fiercely. We're going to get you a number that you're going to be very, very happy with. And I won't even have to have any debates in the interim. And they love that. And that's exactly what happened. But that also involves having the hard conversations about this is where we've got to position it from the beginning, but that's going to change throughout the course of the program once XYZ happens. And lo and behold, XYZ happens because we managed it properly from the outset. I had the courage to have that extra conversation at the beginning or conversation conversations, put in that extra work to set it up. And it was poetry. So you have the conversation around pricing strategy at listing. Straight away. There you go. Not many people do. Straight away. And then and then continually reiterate it. And he didn't even respond well to that. And I probably was about to lose it. Yeah. But that was fine for me too. Because you've got to be prepared to lose to win, right? Negotiation, the person that's prepared to walk away from the deal will usually win. But not many agents will actually sit there and talk about a pricing strategy before they've got pen and paper. There's people out there that won't buy into it. I've lost business by because doing of that. that. Business I wasn't meant to have in the first place. Correct. You well, know. you never had it. Correct. Marty Fox it. Yeah. You never had it to lose. Yeah, exactly. You know when you say, I've lost a listing? Well, how do you lose something you never had? And so many agents get caught up on that when someone sees a listing. Like there was a listing that came up this week where I knew the owner well. The community honestly cared more about this than I did. I mean, so many people reached out. I can't believe they listed, they didn't list with you. And I'm like, this is the game. Like it was never mine to list because I didn't get called into it. I didn't pitch for it. Like, why am I going to, you know, I've got so many blessings in my life to be happy and grateful about. Why would I get negative about best of luck? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's a different mindset and it's different levels when you start to tap into them. And when you can kind of tap into that, you become a whole new practitioner. Yeah. I think the thing I got out of that the most was, you stick to your structure regardless. Key. Like you don't sort of deviate. You know what your Gav and Gav's got a certain approach. 100%. Because I've been into listings where I've started to go into a certain price and you start to second guess. And you got to remember what, you know, what you did to get you there. Sold a $1.75 million unit last week. Process was the same. Process never changes. I'm a process-driven practitioner. And by the way, all the best ones are. Correct. Never well, my quite, process is different to yours. But it works. And it has to be. But it works. Because I'm not passionate about marketing like you. Correct. But I'm part passionate on the buyer side. I'm looking at where my buyers are coming from. Do you know what I mean? I'm talking about a buyer, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Vendor. I've got a buyer that looked at this house and they disregarded it because they thought it was on a main road. But because of the relationship, I said that the house had double glazing. We got them there and it sold. If you didn't have market share, you're not getting that buy to the house. So you've got to find what your niche is that adds value to the vendor. You've got to harness, you've got to press hard three times. Do you know what I mean? That's you've right. just got to push, push that. And never question, and I know a lot of people have different views around this, but never question when you lose a piece of business, unless you know you did something wrong. I can 100% unequivocally say that if I lose a piece of business that I know I did everything I can to get, cool. You're cool. But if you walk in underprepared, if you went away from what got you in the door in the first place. If I didn't make the call, I should have 
mate, mm-hmm. yeah, you walk out and you feel hollow. So the way to manage that is just make sure you do everything you can. And there's got to be a balance of, and I'm not saying like some people starting or getting into the industry, chapter one, very different to say where my chapter is. I'm not saying do what I do. You've got to find your own feet, build up, you know, I'll sacrifice 15, 16 of the last <laughs> years of everything I've got for yeah. this to learn certain skill sets. But there's a balance between I want this fucking listing more than anything else in the world. But if I don't get it, that's cool I'm too. Okay. And it's your loss. I'm, I'm on to the next, baby. I'm okay. 100%. But I think another thing is belief. Of course. Man, belief and confidence. I honestly believe like the energy is a good thing, but belief. Everything. Belief is everything. everything. And, and, every, and every vendor wants you to believe that their property is different. How do you manage and that? And how do you manage the belief in a price don't put Don't put them in a box. Right. I don't put them in a box. Explain that to me. What I'll talk about is this is a $2 million house. And I say, most agents will just engage $2 million buyers. And I'll say to Mr. and Mrs. Vendor, I said, how would you feel if I bought buyers in between one, seven and two, knowing that if we created competition, they'll pay a little bit more. Well, how about if I bought some buyers in at two and a half? Because there's buyers out there at two and a half that think they need to spend that, but they may not need to. Your property may tick a few boxes that they didn't realize and they might say, you know what, this is 2.3, not a bad deal. So I said, Mr. Inver, how would you feel if I bought some two and a half million dollar buyers in? I bought some one seven to $2 million buyers in and let's start to get a feel because what I want to do is I want to go into some uncharted walls and I want to at least test the market at a price point that no one believes. Rather shoot and miss than not shoot at all. You're exactly right. You right. miss 100% of the shots you don't take. So right. I said, how would you feel if I bought you know a couple of different buyers at a higher price point just to see what we can do and you know what sometimes it happens yeah. not every time nah. but they want to know like if we you if try I, you, yeah, they want to see try. you try yeah, like yeah. if i go say your house is worth two million bucks and i go we're going to get in like if i said to you hey i've got some really hot two two and a half million dollar buyers how would you feel if i just brought them through just to test the waters what's the worst can happen yeah I love that. So do you attack price at the first listing presentation? Because everyone wants to talk about this number. Do you say that's not possible? That's not worth it? What's Straight your- off the bat, I go, Gav, today's not the day to set a finalized price. But today's the day to identify what are the most comparable sales that are going to benchmark the value. So you'll do that day one? That's what I do. Right. So what are the sales that buyers are going to use to benchmark the value? Because let's get ahead of the curve. And then we'll say, Gav, let's talk about how they compare. But guess what, Gav? They're sold. So now let's talk about the buyers in the market. So who are the best 10 buyers in the market for your property? What do they missed out on? And then I start to talk about my understanding of the buyers and stuff like that. I'll talk about three comparables and I'll just say based on those comps. Broad range price or kind of in the same? Very, very broad. But you've got to understand in my marketplace, there's not much fluctuation. Yeah. But a $2 million house is a $2 million house. Yep. It's not a $12 million house. It could be 10 or 14. Yeah, yeah. Very different. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so I'll just sort of say, look, these are the most three comparable sales. How does yours compare? They'll say mine's better, mine's in line and mine's worth. They've answered the question. So I won't give them a price. I'll ask them, how do you feel your property compares to those three properties? That'll tell you exactly where they're sitting. That's it. And what's your buyer strategy? Because I know you came up in the Bressick Whitney School of Real Estate, which was very, and still today is very focused on the buyer. What's your strategy with them? In terms of buyer work yeah. or in terms of listing presentation? Buyer work. Or both and listing presentation. Yeah. Buy, I mean, buyer work for me is like, once again, it's starting the relationship early. I believe that everyone looks for the hottest buyers in the market, but you've got to start somewhere. So what I used to do was like when buyers were starting out, I would give them the time. I'd put them on my B buyer list and I'd check in with them once a month and as soon as they missed out on a property guess what they'd call me and they say hey just letting you know we missed out on this and then straight away i'd move them into my hot buyer but i had a relationship as soon as somebody misses out on a property every motherfucker wants to be there you know like onto them i thought if i as a junior agent i can't do it now yeah i just met buyers 
and I stayed in touch with them in, in a way at some point they were going to become a good buyer. And I thought if I did the work before, then I'd have that trust early. So that helped me out, right? Um, for me, it's very simple at the moment, man. Like for me, if you've missed out on a property, then I'm working with yeah, you, right? Yeah, like, yeah. So I don't know. Because the they're hot, hot. Yeah, yeah. You're hot. And then, and then one thing I do is I try not to focus too much on what they're looking for in terms of the basic fundamentals. I focus on price point. The amount of times I've had a three-bedroom house buy and I sold them a two-bedroom unit, or I've had a three-bedroom house buy and I've sold them a three-bedroom penthouse. So one thing that usually isn't flexible is price range, yeah, right? Because yeah. most people have a certain budget they want to spend. But funny enough, they can be a little bit flexible or negotiable on particulars. They've got a wish list, but sometimes like it's like I said, you're a Paddington buyer, you're buying Surrey Hills. You're a Surrey Hills buyer, you're buying Erskineville. You're a three-bedroom terrace buyer, suddenly buy a two-bedroom house with parking because it's got a, an extra living space downstairs. So sometimes you can actually break down that doing the buyer work. But one thing that's hard to sort of, you know, uh, be flexible, usually there's a certain budget. So I focus on price point rather than particulars. Love that. I mean, we are in different markets. I was talking to Simon Cohen the other day <laughs> and he told me that one of his clients told him when they first signed up, they had 20 to spend. They ended up spending 60. Okay. So <laughs> Welcome to the East, baby. Well, so I, it depends uh, on the market you're in, but it's good to know 100%. that. 100%. So yeah. what, and one thing about me going into the three to five market, right? It's not about affordability. It's about suitability. Sure. Right? Like yeah. we had a buyer in our, in our market, like he moved, his name was Michael, right? He was running around telling every agent, mate, my budget's three mil, my budget's three mil. I got to the bottom of it after I sold him a house for four that he just got divorced and sold in Roseville for 11. Right. So it had nothing to yeah. do much. Him and, and all the agents are going, mate, he's only got this. I said, hey, no one's going to tell you at that level how much they've got. And usually there's money available. It's just what they think in their mind they're going to allocate. But you put the right property in front of the right buyer at that level, so it's suitability not affordability. It sounds to me like you're just a guy who freaking gives it a go. Like you're putting it out there, you're taking shots, you don't give a shit if you miss, you don't care who likes you, who doesn't, you're doing right by your vendors, you're being a specialist, you're working with buyers, you're working with sellers. What's your prospecting strategy? Like where does the majority of your business come from and what does the prospecting plan weekly look like? So database, so my database is heavily involved in those two suburbs, but this is my diary, right? From eight to nine, hot chase. Like eight in the morning till nine o'clock. KCC? Hot job. Keep Charlie calling. Yeah, KCC. Keep Charlie calling. <laughs> my, my, many, my, my, my managing director comes and looks at my door. I'm like, bro, fuck off. <laughs> like no one can come and see me in my office, right? So eight till nine. Every it, day, no matter what. You're it on. doesn't matter. You eight work to, out before that? You're in the gym? In the gym, whether Every it's day? at home, sauna, because I've got the day? whole set up. Yeah, four or five days a week. Yeah. Without, without fail? You go through periods or that's? No, no. I'm very consistent with right. that. Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah. I wasn't. So eight till nine, vendors hot sellers, hot buyers, right. uh, not negotiable in the morning. Yeah. Right. So vendor work, buy work, hot seller work, pipeline. Then from nine till 10, database, right? So it's just listed, just sold calls, or is it just calling through the database? And then we have a team meeting at 10 and then at 11, 11 till 12 database calls. Before 12, I've done three hours of prospecting. Boy, an animal. Well, yeah, I have to. Well, that's, I mean, that's your answer right there, right? How do you, how do you write three and a half plus million in fees? And that's how you do it. But you say you're not disciplined. You clearly are around that stuff. I've always been around. So to answer your question before, you is even, be. I was, I was <laughs> disciplined in bad areas, but what I was always good at doing was prospecting. So sometimes if I drop the ball, you know, fundamentally, you. I would always be able to catch up. But that stop start energy, there, there's a lot of wasted energy energy in doing course, that right so course. when you're consistently doing three hours of prospecting a day it builds of course yeah Compounds. so that, that's that so for me they're, they're my, that's why not negotiable right if i do those three hours i believe and i've got to move away from that at some point right i'm 41 yeah but i 
I struggle to let that go because that's I'd my say, bread I'd and say butter. Never, I'd say never let that go. It's my bread and butter. Got to understand that's the that's a bloodline. That's a lifeline in the business because it gives you energy. Anything and everything. Sorry, and you're you're also the owner of a business. So you own Ray White Tomb Group, Group, which is Redfern, Surrey Hills. How many staff you got? So we've got about 20 staff. But the good thing about us is we're, you know, we've got market share in quite a lot of stuff. Redfern, Surrey Hills is me. Yeah. Got a guy called Max who's the number one agent in Rosebury. Yeah. Roger Wardy at the moment's number one Kensington Kingsford. So we've got a nice little spread. We're in the middle of growing. All right. But for me to grow, I'm, I'm trying to step back from the from being an agent. I can't. Yeah. Like it's so hard, man. Like it's what I well, love. Well, you love it. I can tell. It's, it drives it, you. That yeah, is, yeah. that is like, that is what, like Shannon yeah. Whitney was a good example, right? I saw him the other day and he's back on the tools. Yeah. And he yeah, goes, he man, he's, he always loved it, yeah. right? He always yeah. loved it. And you saw him go into the managing director and now he's backlisting and selling. Of course. I think it's in my blood, yeah. right? I think that's what I like doing. That yeah. brings me energy. Like I look at my diary and I see recruitment and I just go, mm. and then I'll see prospecting calls. I'm like, fuck, let's go. I love so, that. See, recruitment's like a deal for me. I like, and I like building people. I've got to learn that. Yeah, and I enjoy that process of going, absolutely not I made you because that is never the play because without the right dynamic personality, their own will, you can't do shit. But to even say like I had a very small contribution to do with that, to me is it gives me the same feeling as a big deal. I like developing agents. Yeah. I just find it hard recruiting new ones. For me, see like my like it's a skill that I don't know. Yeah. And you've got to prioritize it. It's like chasing a listing. Yeah. You can't call a, a, a recruit once. You know, you got to you got to continually build that. You wouldn't believe sometimes you can't, but well, well, you got to. Well, you you probably can, <laughs> but like for me, it's like I'm religious around you know my hot sellers. But when it comes to other things, you know, not so much. What are the challenges that you've had with the business? You got a couple of these number one agents. You're powering. You don't want to let go of the business. What's been the biggest challenge with you in the business? Bal- balancing me. Right, balancing me, giving time to the staff. And like I find it a little bit more difficult now with a younger agent coming in because of where I'm at and where they're at, I find the gap's big. So I can sit there and I can talk to you on a high level about what I do in terms of negotiation, these things, buyer work, you know, all of that. But you get someone in that doesn't, that's just starting out, I find it very hard. Patience. Yeah. 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 Like, so I like mentoring and training people probably at a a tier below me. I find that easier. But the younger ones, I struggle a little bit and it's not no offense i can talk to them about the mindset game yeah like i can tell them about the disciplines the standards of excellence and performance but i struggle to because there's a disconnect between because i did it so long ago yeah and it's interesting because because some of my best people i've taken on cold no real estate experience and i'm telling you now these guys are gonna dominate like and watching their progression from when they started to now some of the opportunities they brought my way some of the profit i'm going to call it that they've made that they've made us the team is just astronomical so you should look at that are you training them you know my view around training is pretty simple right you said earlier success leaves clues yeah right i'm not going to be there feeding you your supper but if you want to learn it's all available to you yeah because me how i came up i was curious you know i didn't need anyone to kind of feed me but because i wanted to learn i was curious i would watch everything and i would ask questions and so the more people that watch and ask questions are more than happy to answer but it's an open book whatever you want to know i'm going to tell you it's going to come down to your will i'll give you the blueprint but you need to execute and just like you say most people's issue is discipline it's having the discipline around executing committing to say you're gonna do what you said you would do long after you were in the mood you said you were correct you also learn on the floor Right, see me, I'm tucked away in an office now because I'm loud and I'm in that. But when I was like in the early days, the listening 
of the key agents was crucial. How they walked, how they talked, how they answered their phone, their energy, their demeanor. And that inspired me as a young fella. Of course. Mine is always about being in the field rather than, you know, on the floor. I mean, I think the floor is important, but I really think prospecting, I've been doing this a long time like you, right? To sit there and teach someone how to prospect for hours is just not, it doesn't get my blood flowing. Do you know what I'm saying? But in the field, in prac, pitching to someone, negotiating a deal, pitching for business, running an open home, dealing with a buyer, having a challenge and overcoming it and showing that person step-by-step how I did it and the art that's involved in that, that gets me excited. And I think the younger people need to realize that everyone's different. Mate, the way that you approach your business is very different to me. You look at Alex Phillips, he's doing 500 calls a week. The way he runs is very different than the way you yeah, run. Very, very the way right. I was brought up is very different than the way you brought up. 100%. There's no right or wrong, but you've got to be true and you've got to, you've got to know what works for you. 100%. It's like when you go into a listing. Mate, you've got to know three reasons why and look them in the eye and believe it. Three, we- three, three reasons, reasons why to why. use you. Like three reasons. Yeah. And even if you don't explain it, yeah. like I'll just say, like, like I'll just say, why do people use me? I'm the most experienced and I've got the most energy. Yep. I've got your back. Yep. There's a difference between working for the vendor and working for the deal and working for the vendor. A lot of agents get trigger happy. Sure. They get an offer, they want to close, and then I'll work volume of sales. So I always say they're the three reasons for me, and I believe that. So I think everyone has to know their place Find in the world. Find your niche and be you, baby. I love that. Yeah. How on earth have you done this all? Three kids. Yeah. <laughs> married. Happily yeah. married, I see. Very happily. <laughs> Mate, same. How long have you been married for? Seven. Ah, oh, 10 years. Whoa. 10 years. And ten three years. kids. Three kids. So that, to, to me, that's very, very impressive to hear that you do those numbers, you're running a business, dealing with your clients, obviously putting them first, because I know you can't write those numbers without prioritizing them like that, and then having her and three kids. I mean, she must be an amazing woman. Stay-at-home mom, looks after the kids. I want to spend more time. But I find it hard. When I say I find it hard, I like being at the top of my game. Yeah. And there's sacrifice for that. I leave in the morning. I say goodbye to them. And then, like, I'll get home. Last night, I got home at 8.30. 8.45, I was out. Right? I was out. And you say out asleep. I was, I was gone. Yeah. Right? And that happened most nights this week. Course, right? Yeah, yeah. But you want to play optimal level. You want to play high-level real estate. I want to get better. So people say, what's my mindset? Yeah. It's very simple. I want to get better. Same. I want to get better. And when I think I don't want to get better and I've got enough, I get depressed. Same. Bro, depressed. (laughs) Like, I'll go, oh, man, like, I get depressed. There's nothing better than working hard for three months and every day being a better version of you and then just going, you know what, I'm I'm taking a break. You go on that break knowing you didn't leave everything on the the floor. For me, it's knowing that I've given, like, one of my biggest fears is not hitting my potential. And at the age of 30 or 31, I looked at myself and go, mate, you are nowhere near what you could be. And even now, like financially, that's not a problem. Like we do a lot of property development and stuff like that. But for me, the biggest fear is because I honestly believe that I've got, I can do better. And that for me scares me that I, uh, that I get to a point where I just left, I left petrol in the tank and I didn't I didn't hit the potential that's my biggest fear yeah I love that so that's what motivates you essentially yeah like I'm scared of not no like I want to find out where's the space for the three kids though because that can be I'm speaking from someone who deals with the same sort of thing like that can be really consuming and so I always wonder in the future god willing when I decide to you know have kids get married do that sort of thing I always question where I'm going to get the capacity from yeah, for that because I give it all to my clients. I leave it all on the floor. Quality 
over quantity. Right. And you mean what by that? When you're with them? Yeah. You're with them. So what, you don't answer your phone when you're with them? Try it. <laughs> but no, no, but that's, that's, that, that's, that's like, like me you, when I, I've, I've, had, I've approached people and it's like, when you're with them, you got to be with them. When you're at home, you got to be home. But when you're at work, you got to be work. The problem is when you're there and you're not engaged and you're thinking about work. Now, that is a skill that I have nowhere near mastered. I was right? going to say, because when I'm not doing something work-related, I'm never engaged because I'm thinking about work. No, nah, so before you go in the driveway and it's like a five-minute release tension, set intention. So I'll, I'll get into the driveway and I'll, I'll, turn, I'll go five-minute meditation of just deep breaths and I'll release my tension and I'll set a new intention for the home because otherwise I'm bringing work in. They can feel that energy. For me, it's about trying to switch, release the tension and set a new intention of where I'm going. And do you do that? I try and do it. Like it's very hard and it's very hard to let go. But if you're asking me about what I need to improve on, it's that. Work in progress, brother. Man, I really, really enjoyed this chat. I hope a lot of people get as much from it as I do. I mean, when we first kind of sat down now, he said, why do you do these podcasts? And as you know, I, I my response was outside of feeling like, you know, we're giving back to the real estate community, which I know some people, even if one person gets value, it's job done. Every person I speak to after each session, I get motivated. It drives me. I learn something. I pick something up. So your time is valuable. I appreciate it. I will continue to watch the journey with excitement. Thank you, brother. And I look forward to seeing you at the top. Take care, bro. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Thinking Outside the Box with Gavin Rubenstein. Subscribe now for future episodes.